You're listening to Boss Tone Radio, presented by BossUS.com. Hey, Paul Hansen here. Today on the show, we've got a super interesting guest, as always. Steve Lukather comes to us from his beautiful home in Los Angeles, California. And Steve, of course, is famous for playing in the band Toto, but I think he's just about... He's just about played on more hit records than anybody else in the history of music. <laughs> um, at his website, stevelukather.com, is a partial discography of just hundreds of albums he's been on. I just jotted down a few of the artists he's played with. Here's some of them. Alice Cooper, Hall & Oates, Cheap Trick, Earth, Wind & Fire, Elton John, Barbara Streisand, Cher, Quincy Jones, The Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Chicago, Don Henley, uh, Michael McDonald, of course his band Toto, Paul McCartney, Kenny Rogers, Rod Stewart, Todd Rundgren. I could literally keep going on for the rest of the day. But um, let's listen to Steve playing with his band Toto and we'll get him on the phone. Hey, Steve, this is Paul. Got a minute to talk now? Yeah, sure. Come on. Ask me anything you want. <laughs> okay. First of all, let's talk about Toto. I guess uh, you guys are going on the road to Europe. Did the Japanese leg of the tour, it got postponed. Is that because of the quake? Yeah, there was a few people in my uh, band that got a little bit paranoid. Ah, yeah. I think that, uh, you know, it was maybe the right thing to do. I mean, we, were already almost, we were already almost sold out anyway. Now we're going to be completely sold out. And- uh-huh. From the Budokan, doing all these really great gigs, uh, our greatest hits record. They put another yet another one out, you know, uh, and it went to number one. And wow! Let's say, you know, maybe it was in you know in hindsight, yes, it was fearful. You know, mm-hmm. at that time there was a lot of obviously uh, fear, and it, and they're still going through bad things there. And I have lifelong friends that live in. Oh yeah. So, yeah, I don't. I, we also didn't feel it was a real good time to go. Hey, let's go celebrate and you know. Right. It seemed the wrong vibe. Our, our longtime friends and promoters, Mr. Udo, mm-hmm. they understood and they said okay, and we were able to uh, move it to September, and now we can go over there and and kill it. You know. Oh, that's great. <laughs> hey, um, I want to go back in time and maybe ask you some questions. Is that okay? Yeah. First of all, I heard that. When you were a kid, your mom won a piano on Hollywood Squares. Is that true? It's true. Wow. I still have that piano. It's in my garage right now. It's a little spinet piano, but I taught myself how to play on it. All my early studies of uh, piano orchestration and just, you know, harmony theory and all that stuff and songwriting and uh-huh. just learning how to play the piano was on that thing. So I kind of kept it as a, a uh-huh. little semi little uh, self museum piece or whatever, you know what I mean? Just wanted to keep it because it was where it all started. Maybe I'll give it to my little kids. You know, I have. I have two generations of children, you know, from 26 to six months old. Right. I heard that your uh, 26-year-old son is a guitar player. Oh, he's a 24. 24. My oldest, but my daughter's 26. Ah. My son Trevor is 24, and he's a uh, he's got a killer band right now, and uh, they're they're going to London now to start their pre-production stuff with Jack Blade's son Colin and uh, Elvis Presley's grandson Ben. Oh my gosh! And then they got some killer tunes, and then you know the young, good-looking uh, kids. You know, my son plays great. 
he's really coming on. He's a great songwriter, and he's I'm real proud of him. We worked together. He played on my last record. We've done. He's going to come out and and jam with me and Toto this summer. You know, he's a lot of fun, him. And uh, then I have my three and a half year old and my six month old son Bodie. Yeah. So, and I, and a new vasectomy. Yeah. <laughs> I had one of those. Uh, listen, man, at fifty three years old, I think I'm done. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but everybody's happy and healthy, and I love them all, so it's all good. Hey, Steve, we're about you and I are about the same age, and of course, we're both huge Beatles fans. Um, That's where it all started. I mean, who would have known that when I was a kid listening to Meet the Beatles and starting to play the guitar, that I would actually work with Paul McCartney and play with George Harrison and be his friend and stuff like that. I mean, it was it was surreal. That is surreal. uh, You know, some of my most fond memories. I got some great photos and. Things that I keep in my office and stuff, you know, I just kind of go, wow, I actually I actually did that. Wow. To come full circle like that was amazing, you know. Yeah. And talk about two of the most lovely, humble, nice, normal people. I mean, you know, I've, mm-hmm. I've worked with every major star, or not every, but a lot, if you look at my discography. Oh, man, you're Every just... style, and let me tell you something, some of the coolest, I mean, there was no bodyguards around these guys. If they were, they were very hidden and and seemingly like just a buddy sitting at the table, you know, no goons, you know what I mean? I mean, drive over to my house in, a, in like a kind of a beat-up old car, you know? Oh, my God. It's kind of like somebody drive by and go, that looks just like George Harrison, except it was, you know? <laughs> but like, you know, he'd show up at my house, no bodyguards and stuff. He's just like, hey, man, how's it going? You know, we'd go out for dinner. It would just be us, you know? And sitting at a dinner table with Bob Dylan, George Harrison, Jeff Flynn, Jim Keltner, and I'm sitting there going like, <laughs> My friends could see. I'm sitting in between George and Bob, and I'm going like, "What the? Fuck? You got to be kidding me, man!" <laughs> I didn't even know what to say. It was, but, but George was cool. Bob, Bob, I only met the one time. He was very nice. Bob Dylan. We uh-huh. talked about Sammy Davis Jr. I didn't want to like go like, "So what were you thinking about when you wrote like Rolling Stone?" I mean, how good would that be? You know? <laughs> he was just cool. He was just a really nice guy. You know, quiet, but you know. Wow. I was sitting in between two heroes, you know, and I, I thought it was my, my high school friends could see this. Hey, Steve, sometimes people ask me, what is my favorite Beatles album? I'd probably have to pick three. Do you have a favorite Beatles album? Oh, God, well, Sgt. Pepper's, you know, kind of changed the world, you know? It did. And, uh, you know, but I like them all. The first Beatles album is what hooked me. Yeah. Beatles. You know, I have a CD in my car. You know, I got to tell you something, though. Mm -hmm. Sometimes... Records should not be made into CDs. Yeah. Something, you know, there, there, there's something about the vinyl that brings that music. It was meant for vinyl. It was made for vinyl. And then yeah. when you stick it starkly on a disc, yeah, I know what you mean. Kinda, it points out any little flaw. You understand these records were made in 1963, 64. You know, uh, technology yeah. was that. And then you know, it, it takes the warmth away from it. You know, so I prefer the vinyl versions. But good point. It's all great. I mean. What that did was, that was the on switch to me and probably every other musician my age, you know? That was yeah. the on button. It was like, wow, that changed the world. That was the shot heard around the world. As far oh, as. me too. Music still holds up, yeah. man, you know? I mean, the music is still great. The songs are still great. Yeah. I mean, I don't care with some young kids, you know, we live in this internet era, it's like, oh, the Beatles suck or whatever. I mean, they, <laughs> how could you possibly know? Or Hendrix is no good, man. It was overrated. They don't understand that, like, in 1968, man, it's like the aliens landed in our backyard when the first time we heard Jimmy and yeah. the Beatles, Sgt. Peppers and stuff. By today, you know, you look at it 40-some-odd years later, mm-hmm. to a kid, that seems like, no, man, they want to hear, yeah! You know what I mean? And yeah. So it's just, yeah. you had to live there to really experience it. I mean, some people get it, you know. For us, people our age, man, we know the impact that it had. Absolutely. It was like otherworldly music that seemed so unattainable 
Yeah. That it, it was scary. It was, absolutely. Steve, back to, to you. Um, when you were in high school or young, you took lessons from Jimmy Weibel. Is that true? So uh, Jimmy Weibel wrote a book like Counterpuntinal Music and just complex stuff. You probably didn't learn Jimmy Page licks from uh, Jimmy no, Weibel. not from Jimmy. But although Jimmy, see, Jimmy took me, he taught me how to read and stuff like that. You know, I was really 14-year-old raw Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been playing for you know since I was seven, eight years old. But you know, I was a rock and roller. I had a really good ear, and I could play mm-hmm. all the rock blues. You know, I could learn stuff off records and stuff like that. But I mean, he said, "Okay, we're going to break you all the way down." Uh-huh. That was difficult for me because I wanted to get out and rock. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to you know teach me the the ropes, you know, and I had to be very, very focused. You know, I had to go back. And because my ear was good, he'd play something for me. I'd have to read it, and then I would use my ear, and he'd go, you're cheating. You're cheating. <laughs> so what he would do is he would give me a lesson, uh-huh. hand me the music, and then I would go back the next week, and he'd hand me a piece of music. It was different, but at the same level. Uh huh. So he would go, you just learned that. So you'd have to read you're that. You're not reading it. You have to learn how to read it. And that was learning how to read music after you can already play. It's Especially tough. guitar players. I mean, oh. it's one of the few instruments you can play the same note in five different places. Oh, no kidding. It's not like a piano where middle C is middle C. On a guitar, middle C is like, you know, one, two, three, yeah. four, five, if you really stretch it, yep. five different places. That's our excuse. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, that's why guitar players, plus, you know, it's, it's, it's fourths and then a third. I mean, the guitar is the most fucked up instrument in the world. <laughs> and that's why guitar players are generally not that great of readers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like the excuse of, you know, if you have a 24-fret guitar, you could play that high E in six different locations. Yeah, I'd like, yeah. Have you ever seen that on a ledger line? You need a <laughs> you know, telescope to figure out what note you're playing. <laughs> I'm a big fan of 8VA, 8VB. Yeah, I, mean? I like that too. You know, it's much easier to look at and less daunting. Yeah. And the worst thing is, like, people now print out these computerized... No, it's like, you know, like off a MIDI file or something like that, and it's like the most impossible to look at. Yeah. You know, uh, 16th notes tied and stuff like that. It's like, no, man, why do you have to make it look like that? <laughs> you know, it's really uncomfortable to look at. You yeah. know, if guys that know how to write for the guitar make it look, it's a lot easier to deal with. Yeah, all those ledger lines are just hard. Oh, it's yeah. just like, come on, man. Yeah. You know, I'm not Itzhak Perlman, for Christ's <laughs> sake, you know? Let's take a second and check out an excerpt from Steve's new solo album. The album's called All's Well That Ends Well, and this excerpt is from the song, very powerful song called Darkness in My World. Don't forget me when I'm
Steve, I read that you've recorded over 1,500 albums. So they tell me. I would say a thousand blindfolded. <laughs> I mean, I've been doing this for 35 years. You yeah. know, it's not like I, you know, did that overnight. You know, they have a pretty you know, partial discography on my website, which has a lot of stuff on it. You know, there's a lot of things I did under the radar mm-hmm. overseas and stuff like that. Hundreds of records that aren't on there. Is that stevelukather.com? Yeah. I mean, I don't. It hasn't been updated in a while, but pretty good cross section of stuff. In the 80s, you were on virtually every record. Well, I play on a lot of hit records, a lot of ones that people don't realize. I know. It's like, it's like you know, people don't realize that Toto was pretty much the house band on, on Michael Jackson's Thriller record. Wow. I was on Album of the Year three years in a row. Quincy Jones, The Dude, Toto 4, and Thriller. Plus, not to mention, like, 50 or 60 nominated records, you know? So we got our asses kicked, you know? I mean, you know, they, you know even in the Grammy book, by the, it was like people thought we didn't deserve it or something like that. Like, we cheated our way through it or something like that. We, didn't, we weren't even members of Neris at the time. So, I mean, you know, we've been unfairly kicked under the bus quite a few times. Uh, whatever, you know what? I'm still playing the guitar. I still have a career 35 years yeah. later. I'm booked up well into next year. I've got a lot of new things on the rise, you know. I'm healthier than I've ever been. I quit drinking and smoking. Oh, back, wow. Back in the woodshed, I got all new gear. You know, I'm, you know, I'm building my new Luke 3 guitar. It's a whole other configuration. Uh-huh. Which I can't really talk about all of that yet, but uh-huh. you know, I bought you know I got a couple of Bogner Ecstasies. I got small stomp box pedal board, no racks, no bull, very organic. I use a cable. Wow! I use a lot of Boss stuff. So you know what I do in the studios now is I carry a bag. I don't really take a pedal board. I, I bring a guitar and and a little bag full of pedals. And Boss is always a major part of the trick bag when I'm on a session. You know? Wow! I got all kinds of shit. We all have a million boutique pedals. That's what we do now. I mean, you're always trying to find something new. Yeah. But I don't really use it much anymore. I'm pretty much more of an organic guy. Do you have a favorite boss pedal or a few favorite? The delay pedal's a really a great one. Uh-huh. And also your chorus pedal. Ah. I, I'm never good with the DS five ninety eight or whatever it is, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I never read manuals and yeah. I just say if it, the easier it is to look at and work, the better for me. I have them all I mean I use them all and I and you know what? I buy them. They don't give them to me. Yeah. If they want to, I would take it. Yeah. But I've always, uh, you know, uh, I go out and buy stuff that I like. You know, whenever I'm, mm-hmm. I've been hung up, go, oh, okay, I'll just, uh, just give me a boss delay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, one of those old chorus things. If, if cause I really don't use chorus much anymore unless I do something radical. I mean, you can't blame me for 19, what I sounded like in 1985 when all that came out. Yeah. Everybody stepped on every button, you know. For some <laughs> reason, my name was attached to that squishy, squashy, overprocessed sound, which I loathe. Please underline that. Uh-huh. That may have served a purpose back then when it was new, much like hooking up a, a Lindrum to a sequencer going dung, 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 <laughs> and MTV was relevant. I mean, right. some of it wears well and some of it doesn't. You know what I mean? Right. But the delays and the chorus, do you have... Delays, I mean, they just have a good sound. Yeah. And I put it through the effects loop, and it, it's not... It just gives it a little depth, you know? I'm not using it to be outrageous with it. Uh-huh. I just... It gives it a little depth without squashing the notes and what you're trying to do. Have you ever used a a distortion or overdrive pedal? Any of those? I've tried them all, man. They all have a relevance, you know. Uh huh. Generally, I use amp distortion. Yeah, I like amp distortion too. I use a compressor to enhance that. I've tried them all, and and I use them all. Sometimes, like I said, I got a bag that I carry around with me with like you know Mm -hmm. twenty different pedals in it. See some boutiquey stuff. Yeah. And some name stuff. 
They're like, somebody, let's try something different. I'll hook a few things up in a chain and maybe get a weird sound. I'm not unlike every other guitar player, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Do you use the Boss Tuner, the floor, the pedal? Yeah, that's tuner? a great, that's a great little unit. The TU. I don't have it on my pedal board because Bradshaw, he made me the, the, the stomp box pedal board, so I just let him go with that. But I always use it in the studio. I heard you used a Roland Space Echo back in the Oh, day. back in the day, sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, you know, unfortunately, I, I sold it. But, you know, it, it served its purpose. But yeah. like a lot of things, people just assume because it's old, it's great. Uh-huh. And sometimes that's not the case. You know, I mean, it was great at, at the time. And there's a lot to be said about, you know, tape echo. Yeah. Real tape echo. But, you know, I, like I said, I, I just use whatever sounds good. You know, I, I'm not like a super gearhead, you know, like some guys are. I want, I want something that's simple, easy, and responds immediately when I plug it in. Boom. Yeah. I want to have to read a manual. I get ADD reading a TV guide. You know? <laughs> hey, Steve, when I was about 19 or 20, about your age, I'm, oh. I'm your age right now, So, but um, I remember hearing Hold the Line. I was in a stereo yeah. store. Oh, that had a, that had a space echo on it. Well, I was in the... St- that was, I was 19 years old when I did that. The, the, those guitars sounded so huge in this stereo store. It kind of just... <laughs> Well, that was the intention. I tripled those guitars. Uh, Back then was a big deal. Nowadays, everybody like, you know, six guitars on each side, you know. I read that you, I think you said in an interview, you used different guitars and different amps. and, and um, st- I think that was actually, believe it or not, that was my, what was it, 71 mm-hmm. uh, Les Paul with deluxe pickups in it, you know, uh-huh. little TV pickups. Yeah, the small humbuckers. And through, through a bass echo and... A modded uh, blackface deluxe reverb, cranked all the way up. Ah, so you had not a Marshall; it was a deluxe reverb. Uh, hey but, man, you understand the Who's Next was a champ amp. Wow, I didn't know that. Glenn Johns told me that himself. Andy Johns, yeah, the, he recorded it. I saw Jeff Beck at the Crossroads thing in Chicago, and. I think he was just playing through a champ. It was sitting on top when, of the... When I worked with him on the record that never came out that I produced... Oh, wow. We had a champ amp. We had a Marshall and a champ amp. That's we amazing. We were recording. Jeff Beck. He had a champ amp underneath the console pointed at him so he could get the response from the pickups into the amp. And then we had a Marshall cranked up. It was at Dave Gilmore's place in, on the Thames. Wow. 97. I was there. I had, I had the greatest time of my life. <laughs> Let's take a second and listen to an excerpt from Toto's first huge hit, Hold the Line. By the way, this is 1977 or 78, and you can hear Steve's space echo on the solo. Check it out. You also did a tour with Jeff Beck and Santana. That was yes, well. That was you know that's 
I I got to be honest with you, man. I was a really young kid. I was there. I was in my twenties, mm-hmm. thrust into a jam session with two heroes, you know. And at that time, you have to understand. Here I am with Jeff Beck, call Santa. What am I going to do? I'm going to try to be different. <laughs> and on that recording, they only took the effects side of my amp, so it sounds like this really, really awful tone. Oh, you I know, hate, yeah. 30 years later, I'm getting eviscerated on YouTube for it. I overplayed. I was nervous. It was so loud. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I never thought it was going to follow me around for the rest of my life, you know. But, you know, it was a great honor to, to play with those guys, you know. I know what you mean about YouTube, though. Wow. When I first got sober, I did a jam with my buddy, Joe Bonamassa. It was the first time I ever played live without having like kind of a half a heat on to take the nerves away. And I overplayed a little bit uh-huh. through a rented amp. And these guys went after me with a chainsaw. They put me into therapy for a year. That's the maybe the cross you have to bear being, being Steve Lukather, you know? Well, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. If you're semi-famous or whatever, you yeah. just got to paint a bullseye in your head and realize that people are going to shoot for it, you know? Yeah. But you know what? I'm okay with it. Is in some ways, it, I've reinvented myself. I've gotten more organic. I, I get up and practice for an hour, two hours every morning. I'm up at six o'clock in the morning, and then I run for three miles. Then I, you know, then I start my day. I'm, I'm a different person. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do any drugs. I, I'm really focused. You know, I'm a reinvention, if you will, at this time in my life. So uh, that's maybe great. getting my ass kicked was good for me. <laughs> hey, Steve, I I uh, saw a video of you singing. And playing, and it was uh, while my guitar gently weeps, and it might have been a version of Toto. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was uh, Holy I cow. Set, uh, sort of as a tribute to George. You know, after that was. Passed, you know, oh no my God, that trying, was so good. Trying to do it like the original, you'll never be better than the original. Right. Some people dig what I did, and some people are horrified by it. You know. Whatever. Oh, I thought it was amazing. Well, you're very kind. Yeah. Thank you. I meant it oh. with love and respect. You know, I'm, I wasn't trying to be Eric. I wasn't trying to be George. I was. Just do it. We said, well, let's try this. I gave it to Steve Picard and said, do your thing to this, and then let's see, let's come up with a different arrangement, you know? Uh, so we did. Some people really dig it, and some people are like, that's awful, you know? Well, I doubt there are that many people that don't dig it. It's, it's amazing. Well, thanks, man. You know, yeah. I just did my best. You can't please everybody. If I've learned nothing else, I've learned that. Steve, you're a good singer. Do you ever think, dang it, I should have just stuck with singing and been a, you know, a Solo I artist? sang only because I had to. Uh-huh. Because nobody else wanted to when I was a kid. So you did sing as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. It... I mean, I have recordings of me before my voice changed. It's pretty funny. <laughs> I did I did my first recording, I think I was 12. And you still have that recording? You know, yeah. It's pretty funny. You know, um, I wish I went to your high school. You had uh, some of the best musicians in the world. Yeah, man, it was an interesting little gene pool. I mean, my one of my oldest friends, Mike Landau, and I knew each other since we were 12 years old. He's one of the finest guitar players I've ever heard in my life. Oh, my gosh. So we grew up together, and we were in a, a lot of bands together. In high school, we met the Picaro brothers, and it sort of changed all of our lives, you know? We were in a band together called Still Life, with Don Pierce on bass, and Carlos Vega and or Jeff Picaro played drums. Jeff was in Steely Dan at the time. Right. David Page and Steve Picaro on keyboards. These were our high school friends and childhood friends, and many, me and John Pierce and, and Mike go back to when we were just little kids, you know. Did Jeff Picaro play with Sonny and Cher also? Yes. In a roundabout, weird way, my father did a film with Sonny and Cher, and I met them when I was 11, and I ended up producing Cher's record years later and playing on her stuff. Wow. And Paige and Jeff were in the band when they were like 17, you know. 
Oh, that's and weird. And that, that turned into the Boss Gags band. We all joined Boss's band. Boss's band turned into Toto. And then at that time, we were started playing on everybody, everybody's record under the sun. So you pro- you guys probably didn't tour because you were making so much money playing on everybody else's record? Well, it wasn't even so much that. We, we were doing both. We were doing all of it. Yeah. You know, you hear all these rumors about how much drugs we were doing and all this stuff. Well, you know, I'm not saying that there wasn't that era. But, I mean, if we couldn't have been that stuff. No. We were doing not only our own band and touring, but everybody else's record that came out of L.A., you know? When you walked into a session, would you get music, like with all those ledger lines and stuff? Would there be uh, charts? There, not very often. Uh-huh. I mean, I, you know, you had to be able to read, but there are guys that did TV film that were really good at that, and, they, and those guys are generally still doing it. Uh-huh. <clears throat> That's another mindset altogether. I dabbled in that, and it was pretty terrifying. I got through it, but I didn't enjoy it. I, I got really hired to fill in the blanks. I yeah. get a blank sheet, and all of a sudden, I would come up with the hook part, you know what I mean, in about two seconds. Yeah. Most like of the, the rhythm parts you've heard on, like, you know, all the Michael Jackson the Quincy Jones stuff. Those did you my- come up with a da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da? Did you come up with that riff? I, that was Michael saying me the riff, but I came up with a da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, man. That's... Uh, on all the human nature stuff, those were those are all my parts. Wow. You know, all the, you know if you, songs like Mike McDonald's, I Keep Forgetting, all those all those rhythm, little skanky, muted parts, uh, that was done in one take. That was the first thing I grabbed for. And all we had was chord sheets. You know, it's all yeah. those one or two takes, boom, out, done. You know, I mean, I mean, I got hired to do all that stuff on the fly, and there was no, never any music except for chord sheets in front of me. Sometimes not even that. I, I've heard that you're pretty much a one take guy. Maybe. Well, I mean, you know, I, you know, sometimes you get lucky. I mean, sometimes, yeah. I mean, back in the day, you know, you didn't have a million tracks, so you had to do it. So if I didn't get it, I'd have to do it until I did, or I punch in on a point. I had something really great. Uh-huh. So I go, oh, can I just fix that one thing? You know, the last note was a little out of tune. Can you punch the last note? I, I bet you've had. A lot of moments where you're sitting in a car and the radio's on and you realize, wow, that's me. Yeah, I, I, I had when I was young. And then all of a sudden guys started to kind of copy my thing. And then it was uh-huh. like, is that me? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I remember my friend Dan Huff, man, like when he came into town, he was doing a better impression of me than me. <laughs> yeah. It- he was a less burned out version. Now he's gone on to be the number one producer in Nashville. He's still a great friend and we, I've laughed about it with him. That's funny. He's been a really, you know, he's been a big, big supporter and a friend. I, I think the world of him. Oh, that's great. But you know, you know, we all. I mean, I, all I was doing was trying to be a combination of all my favorite players. You know what I mean? And, and you put it in a blender, and that's what comes out. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to, to put it. You've had such a long, interesting career, and uh, played with the best people in the in the I've world. I've had a really blessed, lucky. I don't know how. I don't know how it happened. I was talking with Steve Picard. We came up at a time where there was never any doubt in our mind that we were we, that we were going to make it. There was no no in our pathway. If there was a wall, we broke it down. You know what I mean? It was like there was we weren't going to take no for an answer. No is not an answer, an acceptable answer, and I still believe in that. I think that I I may have lost my way a little bit. You know, when the booze and all that kind of catches up with you, I was so miserable in my personal life. It carried into my, you know, having to relive that. Sometimes unfavorably, um, not a drunken jam on YouTube or something like that is, is very painful for me to watch. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, I've, I'm back and, and I really feel like I've rediscovered my instrument, found my passion my, and my muse and my heart. And I'm back to doing what I'm trying to do instead of trying to be flashy. I'm trying to be a little bit more meaningful. I've got my organic sound back. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, you, 35-year career, it's not hard to lose your way sometimes. Yeah. And I, I apologize for that, but... 
I managed to like hang on, you know what I mean, and yeah. catch myself in the dive before I hit the ground, you know what I mean? Yeah. And now I'm floating above there, feeling better than I ever have. Well, have a great tour with Toto. I will, my brother. Thanks for your time, man. I'm going to go put my daughter in the car to go to school. Great, Steve. Awesome to talk to you. Uh, I'll Thanks catch- a lot, brother. Thank you for your support. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. This is an excerpt from Toto's huge hit, Africa. So awesome of the one and only Steve Lukather to come on the show. Thank you for using Boss Gear, and uh, thanks for listening. This is Paul Hansen saying, see you later.